0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, President Biden was in Philadelphia this afternoon attacking Republican state legislatures that are attempting to address the voting irregularities from the November election, which have shaken the confidence of voters. This is simple. This is election subversion. It's the most dangerous threat to voting in the integrity of free and fair elections in our history. Really? Well, we'll talk more about it with Tyler O'Neill, senior editor with PJ Media. And as I mentioned yesterday, nearly two dozen state attorneys general have sent a letter to President Biden saying his Department of Education and the EEOC are undermining the rule of law with their attempts to force this administration's radical transgender policy on schools and businesses across America. Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge was one of the state AGs that's drawing a line in the sand. She joins us later on Washington Watch. Also, a federal court in a preliminary but promising decision has sided with a Texas state judge's chaplain's program that brings prayer into his courtroom. First Liberty's Justin Butterfield is here with the details. And... What we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It
2: needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated.
1: That was former Planned Parenthood president, now CNN medical analyst Leanna Wynn. Is this the plan? Vaccine shaming. Well, we're going to talk about the science and what the Constitution says with Dr. B, uh, uh, Dr. J. Bhattacharya. Uh, Professor of Medicine at Stanford University. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me encourage you, also download the Firm app. That way you can not only get the Washington Watch program wherever you are in the world... But you can also get our legislative alerts so you know when to take action and where to take that action. Again, download the Stand Firm app. It's in the App Store. All right. Uh, President Biden was in Philadelphia earlier today giving a speech at the National Constitution Center. And it was a uh, described by CNN and others as a fiery speech uh, calling for election reform uh, in the country. Uh, joining me now to talk more about this is uh, PJ Media Senior Editor Tyler O'Neill. Tyler, welcome back to the program.
3: Glad to be here, Tony.
1: I- I've got another clip I want to play of, uh, of um, Mr. Biden as he was making his speech. Uh, play, play out the other clip we've got there of Mr. Biden. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates back then never breached the Capitol, as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. I'm not saying this to alarm you. I'm saying this because you should be alarmed. I find that very fascinating, Tyler. What he's done is he's bridged the election reforms that have gone forward in uh, at least 17 states, and he's connected it to the riots at the Capitol on January 6th to say it's the same thing.
3: Yeah, it's rather unconscionable. I mean, the two are very, extremely different sides of an issue that is increasingly more complex. I mean, we saw on January 6th these rioters and, you know, largely peaceful, you know, we had a mostly peaceful protest outside the Capitol on January 6th, but of course... There were violent rioters who broke into the Capitol, and many of them were supporters of President Trump, and they wanted Congress to overlook the results of the Electoral College in the 2020 election. And that is, you know, that's unconscionable. What they did was not to be defended. At the same time, there were legitimate concerns in the 2020 election, and Biden himself even mentioned, he praised the election officials, for rushing through these changes to the election that enabled more people to vote during the pandemic. And then he acted as though, you know, those changes should be permanent. And this, this is the way that the Democrats have been pushing this rhetoric. They're saying, oh, what happened in the 2020 election was amazing. And we want to make sure that this can continue to happen because there were more voters that voted than ever before never mind the fact that states sent out ballots and ballot request forms to people who hadn't requested them, never mind the fact that chain of custody uh, restrictions that used to be held close to the vest and monitored well were not monitored as well in the 2020 election. I'm not saying that the 2020 election should not be relied upon, that the results were were not true. I think there are serious concerns that we have. But at the end of the day, the Electoral College made its decision. The key issue that Republicans are pushing in these state legislatures is that we should have election integrity along the same lines as we had before the 2020 election when the rules were weakened in order to allow more people to vote amid a pandemic. And yet Biden comes out and says, oh, no. This is Jim Crow in the 21st century. If you dare change these rules from the 2020 election, and then he he ratcheted up the rhetoric yet again today. He suggested that because the Texas law has protections for poll watchers, that this would amount to they don't want, they want to ignore the will of the people if their preferred candidate loses. Right. He had this sentence, which was baffling to me.
1: Yeah, I, I heard that, and I'm like. What in the world is he talking about that? And he repeated it. He didn't say it just one time, but he repeatedly said this is about those who count your vote and whether it counts. And he talked about these. It's all about those that don't like the outcome of the election being able to cancel the election. I mean, where in the world? That's kind of like you can't give water to people standing in line in Georgia. Who's telling him this stuff?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I almost think he's purposefully grasping in order to expand his rhetoric further and further and almost to have a nod uh, to the people who came forward in that uh, Time article saying that they – You know, they secured the election, the 2020 election, the cabal and the shadow campaign pulling the levers behind the scenes in the 2020 election. This isn't a Republican conspiracy theory. This is an article that was published in Time magazine. And organizations like the Center for Tech and Civic Life funneled money into blue areas of the country, boosting turnout that helped Biden prevail. And Biden, in the middle of his remarks, said, just like we did in 2020, we have to prepare for 2022. That, I mean, g- given what happened in the 2020 election and that particular Time magazine article, that's a pretty chilling statement he had there. Uh,
1: it, it is. And when you look at the fact that you had nearly half the states that have been attempting to or have a, more than half the states to address voting irregularities that came up in the November election, as you said, because there were people within this, the, the process that were acting unilaterally in some cases because of the pandemic. You, you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the organization that he funded. They got involved. This had never been a scenario that we had faced before an election in the midst of a pandemic. And so people responded. Now they're going back to do cleanup, saying, you know what, we shouldn't have done it that way. Um, but it's all being dismissed because they're saying, well, there's no voter fraud. There were voting irregularities, and, and, and it can't be that half the states got it wrong as they're trying to address these issues that have shaken people's confidence in the election system.
3: And it's also not the case, like Biden said, and this is the quote that really stood out to me. He said, they're trying, they're not only targeting people of color, they're targeting voters of all races and backgrounds with a simple target, you did not vote for me. Right. And then that's like, OK, so where in the Texas bill does he get the slightest inkling of anything like this? He doesn't. But he is grasping at straws in order to suggest that the republic is doomed and push his federal takeover of elections.
1: Right. The the only thing I see in the Texas law that I probably would disagree with, and, and, and I guess I'd have to listen to their rationale for it, is to eliminate drive through voting, where you can drive through, show a picture ID and and drop your ballot off. I'm not sure why uh, they're prohibiting that, but everything else in that looks very reasonable to me. Voter ID laws, uh, the fact that you've got to have uh, ID and the restricting the vote by mail or fraud by mail that can be done. So I, I don't see anything in this. But what I found interesting in it, as he was attacking Texas, that he also made reference to you know HR ones one S1, that the Senate Republicans blocked it, and, and he said, uh, "Let's see if I got the quote here." He, he accused the Republicans of shirking the truth and responsibility for upholding the Constitution. That they wouldn't vote on this, and he says, "Have you no shame?" Well, at the same time, he's welcoming the Democrats from Texas to Washington, D.C., that's become a sanctuary city for those who are performing malfeasance in office uh, because they don't want to vote on election reform measures in Texas. I mean, how do they say this stuff with a straight face?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's even worse than that. So Biden comes out and says, oh, we need to pass HR one to save the republic. And then in the same breath, he praises Merrick Garland for bringing a legal challenge against Georgia's law, which, by the way, is far less restrictive than the laws in Biden's home state of Delaware. When is the Delaware lawsuit, I wonder? And when will the Department of Justice's Voting Rights Division decide to target the blue states that have more restrictive laws than Georgia has that may, I, I haven't looked at the specifics, but may also impact minorities more greatly than the georgia law it's like it's clear that this is a political push that biden is making hay out of the Capitol riot out of the situations with uh with trump's rhetoric after the election and out of the fact that you know there were irregularities in the 2020 election and they need to be taken seriously right but biden continues to say he's like oh this election was the most perfect election ever, partially because I won. And by the way, we need to continue the same things that happened in the last election. All your concerns about election integrity are just smoke screens for Trump to say that he really won. It's like, no, no, there's a lot more to it.
1: So So Tyler, last question for you: Is this being driven by the left wing of his party saying he's not doing enough to ram through HR1?
3: Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I think part of it is the pressure on the party. Part of it is from himself. I think Biden himself sees himself as the promise to the progressive left that even Barack Obama failed to be. And so we've seen Biden pushing uh, issues that we never would have thought he would. Like Joe Biden in the Senate was a firm supporter of the Hyde Amendment for decades Now he's suddenly entirely against it. And more than that, he wants to force uh, Catholic hospitals to perform transgender surgery in violation of the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, this this is the Joe Biden we're dealing with. He named the first openly transgender Assistant Secretary of Health and got this guy through the Senate. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that Obama wouldn't have tried. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and and it was it
1: was Joe Biden that pushed uh, Barack Obama to endorse same sex marriage. So you're you're right. Uh, He's uh, he has his own agenda here. Clearly, Tyler O'Neill, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Yeah, my
3: pleasure. Thanks, Tony.
1: All right, folks, don't go away. On the other side of the break, we'll be talking with the Attorney General of Arkansas, who's joined with 20 other AGs to put the Biden administration on notice. That's next. Don't go away.
4: When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us, and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God
5: is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps.
6: Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview.
1: Washington Watch, I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me encourage you to download the Stand Firm app to keep you updated with what is uh, happening. All right, yesterday uh, we briefly talked about this, a letter from uh, 21 state attorneys general uh, to President Biden over radical new sweeping guidance coming from the EEOC and the Department of Education. The letter says the EEOC and the Department of Education chose to disregard the rule of law And they're undermining their own authority with what they're trying to advance. Joining me now uh, to talk about this, one of the attorneys general, Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge. Uh, General Rutledge, welcome back to the program.
7: Well, thank you so much, Tony. Always a pleasure to be on with you.
1: Well, I appreciate the fact that uh, there are so many. I mean, we're we're closing in on two dozen states' attorneys general that are taking a stand against the Biden administration on a host of things. But this one, in particular, this flows from uh, the uh, from guidance coming out of these two agencies that far exceed their authority that impose a, a transgender policy on both businesses and schools. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners why you're concerned about this and what you're hoping this letter accomplishes.
7: Well, certainly, Tony. And time and again, we have already seen the Biden administration in the first six months exceeding its authority. It's sort of the Obama-Biden, you know, 2.0 in terms of exceeding the authority. And what the Biden administration did here with regard to the, the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and Department of Ed was essentially misinterpret intentionally and expand the uh, the Bostock decision and illegally circumvent the procedural rulemaking process to essentially make a protected class. And that's what uh, we have worried about uh, with regard to uh, this administration. We saw it in the Again, in the Obama administration, and that's what these uh, 21 attorneys general from across the country, led by Tennessee attorney general, that's what we've been worried about. And any time we have a federal administration exceeding its authority, going over states' rights, or going circumventing Congress, then we're going to step in and call halt to it. And that's what we've done here in this letter. And, you know, if need be, we will look at litigation.
1: Now, the two the two primary aspects that you raise in the letter uh, regarding this technical assistance document that is coming from these two agencies is uh, one states that employers may not deny an employee equal access to a bathroom, locker room or shower that corresponds to the employee's gender identity. Now, The Bostock case only dealt with the issue of employment and termination of the employment. The court did not go any further than that. So as you pointed out, they're expanding this. And the court decision in Bostock only dealt with Title VII, which is employment law, did not even touch the issue of uh, Title IX, which is education. And so they're seeking to apply this court decision to education when it comes to uh, women's sports and restrooms and bathrooms. I mean, how do they get away with this?
7: Well, hopefully they're not going to get away with this. And they put it in this, you know, innocuous sounding, you know, oh, it's just a, a technical letter. Well, it's not a technical letter when you are uh, at that place of employment and someone identifies, um, you know, a, a male identifies as a female um, and you are in using the gender that you were born with um, and you're in a female restroom or maybe young girls are in there then then these women and these young girls uh, should not have to share a restroom with someone who is identifying as, a, a male for the day. The same thing with the sports uh, that we've seen you know, on education, right. as you mentioned, Title IX. Uh, we, we passed a couple of laws in Arkansas dealing with this, preventing biological males from playing in all-female sports. Uh, but the Biden administration is essentially circumventing the rulemaking process by sending out this letter. Just as, again, I keep going back. I mean, it's the same thing that we've seen, but much more aggressively, uh, but that we dealt with. During the Obama-Biden right. administration, uh, with regard to, uh, you know, the, the so-called, you know, bathroom bills that we would, that we saw across the country, because again, the administration then circumvented the rules, and it was the attorneys general from across the country, uh, notably the Republican attorneys general, who stood up for states' rights and for stood up against the overreach.
1: Very quickly. Final question for you, General Rutledge. The if if a business in your state or a school is challenged by the Biden administration based upon this guidance, would you then be able to step in to uh, to defend uh, the citizens of your state?
7: Well, we might be, you know, with regard to the schools and working with the Arkansas Department of Education, and uh, you know, with regard to to private businesses, you know, certainly if it had to do with any sort of um, state law or or funding issues, we would look into that. But right now, you know, our goal is to to stop the Biden administration circum circumventing the the rulemaking process, and so that way Congress does have a say so. We're right. uh, we're blessed in Arkansas to have it. Uh, six incredible members of Congress, uh, but right now, um, again, they've just gone around the rulemaking so that way um, these comments that they published for EEOC and Department of Education didn't have any public input, comment, hearing period, or meetings. So the public should be upset about this, not just people who disagree with the idea, but the public as a whole should be upset that they're, having this kind of major policy change down the throats of the of American businesses and schools without any sort of public input.
1: Well, we're certainly grateful that we have uh, so many attorneys general at the state level that are stepping in the gap here to defend the uh, the citizens of this country against the overreach of the, uh, the federal government. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more uh, to fight. Uh, general Rutledge, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with you.
7: Thank you, Tony.
1: God bless you. All right. Uh, it's Attorney General Leslie Rutledge of uh, Arkansas. Uh, I hope uh, your attorney general has uh, signed on to this uh, letter because I'm telling you, this is, we're just six months into this administration and the attacks are coming nonstop. The law means nothing to them. Completely over me. All right. Uh, don't go away. We'll come back. Some good news from the courts, at least preliminary good news, promising good news. We'll be uh, joined uh, with one of the attorneys from First Liberty next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
8: Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org slash blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog.
4: We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742 and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
1: I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, just to to wrap up that last conversation we had with uh, General uh, Rutledge, the, uh, the, the, the guidance, the technical guidance coming from the Department of Education and the EEOC uh, would not only dictate bathroom policies, locker rooms making showers, locker rooms open to people who, you know, whatever gender they say that they are, uh, but it also deals with, uh, the, it really it dictates the use of pronouns, the chosen pronouns, even made-up pronouns of individuals who identify as whatever they identify as. And if you don't, in fact, the guidance says intentionally or repeatedly using wrong name or pronouns to refer to a transgender employee could contribute to an unlawful, hostile work environment. This was not in the Bostock case. This is all being made up. They are taking this as far as they possibly can, and that's why it's important to have these attorneys uh, general stand against what this Biden administration is doing. But folks, you've got to be vigilant, you gotta be on the watch, and you by all means look at the consequences of elections. All right, some some good news out of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. They issued a preliminary but a promising ruling for First Liberty Institute's client, Judge Wayne Mack, a Texas Justice of the Peace, that has a volunteer chaplain Program in his court, and it was attacked by the anti Christian Freedom from Religion Foundation. Joining us with the details, Justin Butterfield. He is the Deputy General Counsel at First Liberty Institute. Justin, welcome to Washington Watch. So, uh, congratulations. Uh, another uh, at least pr- promising decision by the court. It's a preliminary decision, but saying that there's a good chance what uh, the freedom from religion foundation is trying to accomplish it won't happen uh when the 5th circuit actually hears the case all right uh i think uh... Um, try on muting i think you uh, you've muted your volume there oh, we're there you go all right okay. Sorry. all right justin go right ahead jump in
9: Well, thank you for having me uh that's absolutely right. Uh, Judge Mack, a justice of peace, part of his duties as a justice of peace is to serve as coroner for Montgomery County. And what Judge Mack found was that, you know, when he is called to these oftentimes horrific um, accident scenes in the middle of the night and somebody has just passed away and their family members are there in shock, grieving, um, you know, he, he was having to, to console the families and he wasn't able to, to uh, see to their needs and also do his duty as a coroner. And so what he did was he started a volunteer chaplaincy program in his county where people of any faith could volunteer. Um, and when he has one of these tragic uh, accident scenes, they come with him and so they can, they can help uh, the needs of the family while he conducts, conducts the death investigation. And as a way of honoring the chaplains who participate in this program, Judge Mack uh, invites them to give a, a brief opening invocation to solemnize his his court proceedings. The Freedom From Religion Foundation uh, did not like that. They did not want um, Judge Mack to to offer these volunteer chaplains the opportunity to open his his, uh, court with brief brief invocation. Um, And so they filed a lawsuit in federal court against Judge Mack. And First Liberty Institute realized that that, what Judge Mack is doing um, is what judges throughout this country have done for years. In fact, um, you know, the United States Supreme Court opens every session with a brief prayer. Um, and and that has been the case for hundreds of years in the United States. And so we wanted to defend Judge Mack. Uh, we came alongside him, and we've been representing him in his individual capacity um, in this lawsuit. And unfortunately, the district court ruled against Judge Mack, and so we appealed to the Fifth Circuit... And the Fifth Circuit just issued a a stay uh, of the district court's order pending appeal so that Judge Mack will be able to continue to have his invocations. But what was most important about this opinion is that the Fifth Circuit, in a a very well-reasoned opinion, recognized that what Judge Mack is doing, opening his his court session with a brief invocation, is what the Supreme Court has recognized in Supreme Court cases, such as um, Town of Greece versus Galloway. Um, it's, but not only that, it's what we have done as a country for hundreds of years from the circuit riding judges, um, of hundreds of years ago who would bring chaplains with them to the opening of the United States Supreme Court to, to lots of courts all around this country, uh, have this tradition and Judge Mack's following in that tradition.
1: Yeah, you know, Justin, just reading excerpts from the, uh, stay that the, uh, Fifth Circuit, uh, put out on this, as I said, preliminary, uh, pending, uh, the, uh, adjudication here of the appeal. It, it's hurt. I would be shocked if they came back and said, judge Mack couldn't do what he's doing because it, it almost looks like to me, they're making his case for him. That in fact, he has this right in the freedom from religion foundation, uh, as in most cases is just, uh, they're out to lunch when it comes to the law.
9: They, that's exactly right. The freedom from religion foundation is just wrong in this, in this matter. Uh, Judge Mack has the right to do what he's doing, as as hundreds of judges throughout our history have done. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, that the Fifth Circuit is well reasoned. Um, I'm glad that they they looked to what is actually the history in this country, what is what is the tradition, and you know, you don't have to look very far. As I said, the United States Supreme Court opens every session with with um, a brief prayer, so it, it's it's not like this is something that people. Uh, that, that hasn't been done in a long time. It's done. It's been continuously done. And Judge Max following that.
1: Yeah. Well, we appreciate First Liberty being there to uh, to represent him. And uh, grateful for the great work that you guys uh, do. Justin, thanks so much for joining us.
9: Well, thank you for having me.
1: All right, folks. Uh, if you stand up nine times out of ten, you win. Not always, but most of the time. All right, don't go away. We're going to come back and talk about va- vaccine mandates. Are they coming? Or is it just shaming they're going to do? We're going to talk about it next.
4: What is religious freedom, and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
6: Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org.
2: Want honest and in depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to tonyperkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Gibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, the website, tonyperkins.com. All right. Under the Trump administration, we had Operation Warp Speed, which uh, produced the COVID vaccines. Now, under the Obama administration, it appears that we have Operation What's Your Problem? Uh, There is a push to make it difficult for those who are concerned about the growing health complications surrounding the vaccines. Uh, Here is the former. President of Planned Parenthood, now an analyst for CNN, Leanna Wynn.
2: What we really need to do at this point is to make vaccination the easy choice. It needs to be hard for people to remain unvaccinated. Right now, it's kind of the opposite. It's fine. I mean, it's easy if you're unvaccinated. You can do everything you want to do anyway. But at some point, these mandates by workplaces, by schools, I think it will be important to say, hey, you can opt out. But if you want to opt out, you have to sign these forms. You have to get twice weekly testing. Basically, we need to make getting vaccinated the easy choice. That is what it's going to take for us to actually end the pandemic.
1: Make it difficult, shame them, and uh, push for mandates. Well, joining us now to set the record straight is uh, Dr. Uh, J. Bhattacharya. He is a professor of medicine at Stanford University. Uh, Dr. Uh, Bhattacharya, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: Oh, My pleasure.
1: All right. Look, uh, so there's growing concern over some of the vaccines. I mean, we're, we're out to reports today that Johnson & Johnson has some health complications with it. Uh, it, we're still under emergency uh, provisions for these vaccines. Should we be talking about
0: mandates? No, we should not be talking about mandates. I think mandates in the context of this vaccine and this pandemic are going to be very bad for public health. Uh, the, the public health community at large and, and, and uh, has in many ways failed us. Uh, it, it politicized the vaccine. It politicized the, the, the virus and have undermined i think public trust in them uh if you were to mandate the vaccine at, rather than just telling people you know here are the the, the numbers about wh- for whom it's beneficial for whom it might not make less more so much sense and treat patient people like adults i mean that's the right way to do public health instead we have a, again a, a push toward mandating, toward forcing coercion that I think in the long run undermines trust, further undermines trust in public health. And actually, I think unfortunately will undermine trust in other vaccines as well. Um, I think it's just a mistake.
1: You know, I, I, I agree with you and I'm not one who is anti-vaccine. Uh, I, I have not gotten the vaccine because I actually had the virus. Now, my parents are elderly, they're in the, uh, the high-risk category, and, and they got the vaccine. That was a decision that they made, and, and I was glad that they took the protections uh, to get it. Now, I'm not telling people to get the vaccine or not to get the vaccine, but I think when you have the government stepping in, as you pointed out, uh, you know, encouraging through mandates at the lower level or making it difficult, as we heard uh, Ms. Wynn talking about, I think that builds the resistance to
0: the vaccine. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's part of the American spirit. You tell you tell people you gotta you're forced to do this or else, and Americans say, Well, what's 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 wrong with this thing that I have to be forced to do it? I mean it's 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 kind of this night actually in some ways a healthy skeptical spirit. Uh but the you know, I mean, I think there's a case to be made for the vaccine, and you should just make it honestly, right? So the vaccine for older people is a godsend. It has protected many, many older people from from dying from the virus. Um and and because for for older people there's there's a the virus itself is quite deadly there's a thousand fold difference in the risk of mortality from the disease from the oldest to the youngest and uh the oldest uh you, you know you have a you have a disease that's very bad the vaccine that has some 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 side effects but there are very very low rates of side effects relatively safe vaccine um It makes complete sense for younger people i mean it it's a much closer question give people the information the solid Good scientific information. Let them make their own choice. Uh, that is how public health gains trust. That's how public health becomes effective, and that's how the pandemic actually ends—not with coercion, but with good medicine uh, conveyed by, by by trustworthy people to 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 people, treating them like adults as opposed to serfs.
1: Okay, uh, Doctor Bhattacharya, let me let me ask you this question from the science standpoint. Um, for for as you, those in, in the in the category of the younger individuals where they look at some of the side effects and, and I know that they're minimal I mean I mean in terms of if you get them, they're not minimal, but I mean course, yeah. percentage wise they're, they're it's not vast, but you don't want to take that risk it, it, If you have the antibodies and you've actually had the virus, you get it, you're younger, it's not that bad you're you're a part of creating the herd immunity with that. Uh, even more so than those that
0: get the vaccine, are you not? I mean, natural immunity is quite effective uh, at preventing you from reinfection. We've had uh, relatively small numbers of reinfections, despite the fact that millions, you have tens of millions of people, I mean, hundreds of millions of people in the United States, I think, have been affected, 100 million people infected at least. Um, and yet we have very few reinfections. It protects you against the variants as well. So I actually don't understand this. Uh, like I read the evidence, scientific evidence around natural immunity. It looks like it's quite effective at preventing uh, reinfections. I mean, of course, if you had the choice between getting COVID and the vaccine, it's probably better to get the vaccine than, than COVID. I mean, but
1: if you've, had, if you've had COVID, what would correct. you recommend in terms of if you've had it, you have the antibodies, do you need
0: the vaccine? I think, so it's not even a question of the antibodies, right? So if you have, have had COVID, the antibodies will fade over time. But that's not the, comp, the protection that you actually get from it. It's, it's their other mechanisms of immunity, T cells and B cells and other mechan, cellular mechanisms of immunity to provide protection against severe disease upon reinfections. You're much less likely, if you're reinfected, to be hospitalized or die. That's what we care about, right? Um, Hospitalization and death, that's what overwhelms hospital systems. That's what gets headlines and, and of course, uh, devastates families is is having people uh, with severe hospitalizations and and deaths. If you've had COVID and recovered from it, then you're protected against that just as much as you would be if you had the vaccine. Um, Actually, can, can I bring another angle to this? There are tons of millions of people older people worldwide who have not had the vaccine. Why are we discussing vaccinating a uh, a population of people, younger people who face very low risk if they were to get infected, while still tens of millions of people worldwide uh, have not had the protection of the vaccine? Just just because they don't live in a rich country doesn't mean they don't deserve to have this kind of medical care available to them. Uh, if If we're going to do the ethical thing, we should be sending these vaccine doses Overseas, to older populations. So older populations elsewhere can be protected just just the same way the American older populations have been protected. That's the right thing to do at this time.
1: Well, you have some countries that are uh, having some significant issues uh, with the COVID virus uh, moving rapidly through those countries. And certainly they could use uh, those vaccines. Uh, Continuing that conversation about those that have had the virus, Uh, You know, I've read where there are sometimes significant complications for those who have had the virus and then get
0: the vaccine. I mean, I don't they actually check that in the trials. I don't think it's unsafe for someone who's had the virus recovered and then to then subsequently get the vaccine. I think it's uh, that's actually still safe. It's just useless because you're already protected in uh, substantial ways against the virus from reinfection with the virus, the, the, uh, the vaccine itself does not add any additional protection. Uh, so just to give you some sense of this, uh, in the randomized trials that, uh, that Pfizer ran for the, for the study, they actually enrolled a large number of people who had had COVID and recovered. They tested the vaccine on them and found, you know, it was a safe vaccine for them. But then when they were testing the efficacy of the vir- a vaccine, they dropped that group out of the trial why, because they knew that if that group had no benefit from the, the 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 vaccine, and so if they were to include it, it would make the vaccine look less effective than it actually is so it, why are we then giving the vaccine to people who've recovered it doesn't it doesn't make any biological sense it doesn't it's not consistent with the evidence
1: well, and it's also if we have a limited supply, we want to get to those people that are in the higher risk uh, categories but are the public health models taking that into consideration? I mean, I, I've not heard any conversation about those that have had the virus, you know, being outside these, you know, mandates or encouragement uh, for the uh, for the vaccine.
0: Yeah, it's it's really weird. I, I, I mean, a very odd denial of natural immunity. I don't understand it. Uh, it's as if the only valid immunity is. Vaccine-induced immunity. I mean, vaccine-induced immunity is, is actually quite effective, but it's not. But if you've had the virus and and recovered, you have natural immunity. There are a, an enormous number of studies in prominent journals that have established this. I don't really understand why the public health community has not adopted this, has not sort of incorporated this into their thinking in a deep way. Um, we We keep seeing this mistake over and over, and you know actually I think it 's actually led to deaths that we should not have happened. We should have prioritized people who didn 't ha- have covid before when the vaccines were in short supply, right If we had done that, many we would have been more effective in. Uh, sort of push putting the vaccine in the, in the into the arms of people who would benefit from it uh in, in, when the disease was spreading very rapidly uh, and now that the, the the disease has spread um, you know sort of the disease in many ways has, has come down in in prevalence um, we're deciding that we're going to spread, give the vaccine to patients who don't really don't really benefit from it. Uh, in in any case, just by dint of their age, while ignoring people overseas that need the vaccine that that actually could benefit from the vaccine. It uh, is a public health policy. Just uh, it's a puzzling public health policy. So
1: so let me ask you this question, uh, Dr. Bhattacharya. Is it because of the political? Uh, politicization of this issue that it it doesn't make sense to do it this way, but because it's become a political issue that's the way we're doing it
0: i mean I, I don't know the answer to that I wish I mean I wish I knew the answer to that I, I, I think part of it let me do, let me try a charitable interpretation uh, The charitable interpretation is that they the, the public health officials that are pushing this message have a have an incorrect uh, understanding of what the endpoint of this epidemic is. They think that the end point of this epidemic is uh, everyone is 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 immune uh, by dint of vaccination, and then the disease disappears off the face of the earth. That's what I think what they think of as the end point. That, that is actually a fantasy. The disease is never going to disappear off the face of the earth. It's, it's too widespread in every every country on earth. Um, it will continue to spread just like the other four circulating coronaviruses, which are common co-viruses, will continue to spread through the whole population at some point. Some Everyone will be exposed to it at some at some you know next year, two years from now, ten years from now. It's not possible to to, to it's not possible to eradicate the disease. Dogs can get the disease. They can get the virus. Cats can harbor the virus, it has extra human vectors. Uh, this is not an eradicable disease. I think they mix up the goal in their head and say, okay, this is potentially eradicable. When in fact, it's an endemic virus. It's a virus that will last essentially forever as long as your humans will now have this virus. It'll join the 200 other virus uh, pathogens that, that afflict humans. Um, for older people who are vulnerable that really have a high risk of disease or death if they get the, 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 the infection, they should be protected from it. Younger people, I mean, what's the what there really isn't a, a, as compelling a case to be made for that kind of protection. They die at much, 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 much lower rates, thousandfold less. Um, I think we need to stop being scared of this virus. I think that's the fundamental. I think they're still motivated by the fear of the virus.
1: I think you are uh, absolutely correct. So uh, to summarize, we should look at the science, the facts, look at your vulnerability and then make an educated decision as to whether or not you should get the vaccine or the shot.
0: I think that's exactly right. I mean, and frankly, if, if that attitude prevailed in public health, more people would be vaccinated because they would trust the public health officials that, uh, that, that, were, that were making that case. Instead, what we have is uh, a coercive uh, kind of forced vaccination effort where it's going to create distrust. It already has created distrust. And and as you say, politicization, I think it's very, very unfortunate.
1: Well, Dr. Bhattacharya, thank you so much for uh, joining us and just having a reasoned conversation uh, about this because I think the facts need to be out there and people need to look at at the science and make an informed, educated decision.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the conversation.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Dr. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya at uh, Stanford University. And again, I'm not saying you should get the vaccine or you shouldn't get it. I'm not for vaccines, I'm not against vaccines. I mean, it just, they're, they're there, they're helpful to some people. I think you need to look at the facts. Now, I would look at the various vaccines that are out there like the Johnson Johnson, I would not get uh, because number one, there's problems associated with it but also there's ethical issues uh, related to that one. Uh, but you have the Pfizer and the Moderna uh, that do not. Uh, but, again, it's, it, make a decision. It's, 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 are you in a high-risk category? Will it be helpful? Make that decision. Um, but I think what uh, Dr. Bhattacharya said is that we've got to quit making decisions based on fear. Stop being fearful of this, And this is what the government this is what the Biden administration is really doing. It's what the media has been doing is spreading fear because when people are fearful, they're easily led and controlled. And we cannot be fearful, especially as believers. You know, we, we've got a lot more to hold on to than just, uh, you know, the, the, what is right here and now. And uh, we have been we have not been given a sp- spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. And we need to operate in that. All right, folks, out of time for today. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, I encourage you to check out the website. Lots of resources there for you. Download the Stand Firm app so you can stay in touch and you know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found at Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, When you've prepared and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.